Hello, thanks for joining me today. I'm so glad to have you here. This is my friend Celeste Fair with the Emerald Lagasse Foundation. And I want to talk about events. Let's talk about let's talk about fun events. Let's get back to having fun. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to talk to you about it. I know it's we've all been, I think for a year, have been dreaming of what this would look like again. So here we are. <laughs> Well, so, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. Before we talk about going forward, I'm curious, you know, with the benefit of hindsight now, as you think about the different things that you went through last year, what you tried, how you remained engaged with your supporters and, you know, so many, you guys have so many personalities who support you, you know, what do you think some of those best practices were that that you guys did to really, you know, kind of position yourselves to come out stronger this year? It's a good question. I do feel like it's probably taken us this whole, you know, 12 months to figure it out um, properly. But I think it, for us, it's really engaging with our donors, keeping the relationship alive. And so starting last April, as we shifted to a virtual concept, it's doing some something that we can still have our touches um, to them. So we did these really cool gift boxes and we kept communication and Throughout the year, we also called them for, you know, birthdays and uh, different things, just checking in our, when we had all of those crazy fires in California, we checked on all our winemakers. And I, so I think, you know, keeping the personal interaction in a very impersonal world where we can't see or touch each other um, was important. And I think that was critical to our success. And so we've slowly but surely um, throughout 2020 shifted uh, from like, no one seeing anyone to, you know, here and there doing a few things. But I think for us, it was, it was really truly just making sure people felt comfortable, making sure people remembered us, remembered the mission. And then for us, uh, you know, the main part of, uh, or a big part of our mission are hospitality industry uh, workers and children affiliated with that. So, kids that are in um, programs teaching them to, you know, to cook or children in school and getting getting meals in school, which they weren't doing this year. So for us, it was just really critical to remind our constituents that, you know, this is not just funding gardens for future schools. This is right now, these kids need it, you know, how can we, how can we help? And without fundraising, we couldn't do it. So that was, yeah, I think uh, number one is just relationship management for us. Yeah, well, and you're right. I mean, I suppose an opportunity or whatever the right word would be out of this last year for you guys is it really does drive the importance of your mission and what you're doing because the reality of your work was right in front of everybody. Yeah. That makes sense. So now when you think about 2021, how are you starting to think about planning for this year? What, what do you guys have in store? You know, it's so tricky because, um, I mean, back in the summer of 2020, we were like, okay, in-person fall event, what do we do? You know, and then the closer we got to the fall of 2020, we were like, well, there goes that. So um, we're, fingers crossed, we're very hopeful that by, you know, the end of 2021, so Q3, Q4, we can gather in some format. Um, and I think that's, you know, to be seen, we're all very, very hopeful. Things look like they're heading in a positive direction with, you know, vaccines coming out. And I think just people being very eager to return to a kind of a normal format and gather and celebrate. 
so right now we're planning for a, an in-person event scaled down from usual years, but an in-person event in November um, in New Orleans. And we're looking ahead to our April event, um, April of 2021 in Destin. Um, and it's usually, it's smaller than our other events typically, but this year we're, we're thinking we're gonna scale it down even, even further should we have to go virtual again. Um, so we're hopeful that we can do some kind of in-person gathering in April, but it really is just gonna depend on, you know, guidelines, restrictions, and also we're, we're really making sure that we follow all suggested um, event protocols. So if the suggestions locally and federally are no gatherings, then we won't gather. But as of now, it seems like, you know, at the beginning of April, we should be able to do something scaled down safely, you know, distanced, um, but something outside. So yeah. that's, that's the direction that we're headed. Yeah, we're seeing that. We actually just did a live event um, maybe two or three weeks ago. And, you know, the normal crowd for that organization is maybe like 800 to 900. This year we had 300 and we did it in a baseball park. And so we spread out across the baseball park and we made use of the suites as if they were like a table. So where you would normally sit with your guests at a table, you know, you went into your suite with your guests and it worked out great. People were really, you know, they were very respectful of, of the distance with each other and that sort of thing. But um, it was interesting because after the event was over when we were doing our, you know, post-event meeting, something that we all discussed was just the overwhelming excitement of everyone that walked in was like, I'm so happy. So it's like, you can really see that pent-up desire to be back together again. I mean, for sure, everyone wants to be respectful and safe, but everyone's like ready. So I think, I think your instincts are right that it, if, if protocols will allow it, I think they will come. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's each of our events have different personalities, different demographics. Um, and so we're really just trying to cater to that, you know, what people are comfortable doing. And so far, it's been important to us to really survey the crowd, you know, ask the donors, ask the winemakers. And we've done a lot of research um, leading up to that for the event in April and going into November. And so far, people, you know, they said, yes, I will come. So we, you know, want to make sure to to, to do that, take advantage yeah. of that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think your, have your goals changed for the year? Do you think there's more of a goal toward connectivity as opposed to like financial or those are kind of always goals? Have those changed at all in, in light of everything we've learned over the last year? That's a good question. I think, you know, mission at the forefront has always been our number one goal. Um, and with that comes fundraising. So I think, in looking, looking back in the past, we wanted to make sure to, to drive that home and the dollars sort of trickled in from that. Um, but I, I think, yes, I think going forward, we want to take advantage of the um, interpersonal interaction and people's need to do that. And just trying to figure out what's the best way to do that to also keep our, our number one goal of fundraising and mission at the forefront. So I wouldn't say that our goals have shifted necessarily, but maybe the format in which we do that may have. We may emphasize certain things that we haven't really done before. You know, when, especially in our New Orleans event, people, they come to celebrate and eat and drink and that's what they do. Um, but they haven't been able to do that for a year and a half. And so I think it'll be more important this year, you know, to, to make sure people feel 
safe and excited. And um, what we're hopeful for is people are so excited to be there that they're giving and their philanthropy goes up too. So yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed for sure. Well, so let's talk about, you know, obviously your mission's related to restaurants, employees, their children, these things. So many nonprofits rely on restaurants and, you know, liquor manufacturers and wineries and these folks to really help offset costs so that they can do the nonprofit fundraising, of, you know, events and, and, and donor thank yous and these kinds of things. But, you know, we're in a world where asking a restaurant for a donation is not a reality. Um, you know, they've been hit harder than anybody. Maybe, maybe not, maybe equally as hard as somebody owning a live event production company, um, but, but really hard. And so, you know, I'm interested as you look at your restaurant partners and, you know, you've got so many amazing chefs that have been involved with you guys, you know, and, and, you know, just all the personalities. How do you balance sort of the rebuild of the engagement of, of, you know, the industry at a time when the industry is, is just really suffering? Yeah, um, it's a tough one. I mean, we see firsthand just with Chef Emerald, you know, with his business, we've seen how, um, you know, through his eyes, the struggles that that industry has had, both financially, but really also just the interaction with people and your donor, you know, your, your guests, your paying guests. So um, we have sort of made an internal commitment that we're really not going to ask people for anything this year, you know, as far as that community, or we're going to try, you know, not to. Um, now, we do have a lot of uh, friends of the foundation that give and give and give, and we're so appreciative to that. And so um, we do have some folks that have already like offered things, but we are really scaling back our asks of that industry. Um, and actually, we usually don't give to the ho hospitality um, industry specifically. Like our our foundation's focus on inspiring, mentoring, and enable um, youth to reach their fullest potential, and it's oftentimes through food. Youth being, you know, under eighteen or that age group. So typically, we don't fund the the um, older generation of hospitality workers. But this year, we we did, you know, because we just thought that was so important and. These guys, these restaurant owners and, and chefs and winemakers have shown up for us year after year after year. And so we wanted to show them our appreciation, especially in New Orleans. And, you know, I'm sure similar to Austin, New Orleans is just, it, it's so sad. You know, the restaurants that are never going to come back. And, um, you know, right now it's Mardi Gras. And so we see the streets of New Orleans are usually packed and there's just no one there. And so it's, it, we see it firsthand. And so it was important for us to, to make that gift. And so we did a fundraising campaign um, in honor of the chefs that have given to us year after year. And so we, we did that. So I think it's yeah, our, the short answer to your question or a long-winded answer is we're just really going to try to scale back our ass this year and utilize the resources that we do have. Um, I think that's, I think that's good advice for anybody because, you know, while you know, you know, the nonprofits do rely on those donations and that sort of thing, I think, you know, there's a time where you kind of have to put yourself in someone else's shoes and really respect, you know, if you want to, if you want a long-term relationship with that person or that organization or that, you know, restaurant um, retailer, you know, you really you probably do have to dial it back this year and understand, you know, this will be the year to, to not make the ask maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we're, when we're building our budgets, we're just making sure to reflect that. So where, you know, places where we would, you know, have everything donated from a food and beverage perspective, we're, we're cushioning that knowing that we're going to have to fork out some of those expenses that typically we wouldn't, but it's just, you know, managing budgets and, and all of that. So, yeah. So I want to ask you about that, you know, because I think that's smart, but then when you do that, you've got to turn around and explain to a board, you know, why, you know, why your expenses are up and, you know, these kinds of things. So how, how have those conversations gone or has it been sort of uniformly through the organization they, they get it? It's our board is wonderful. They've been so supportive throughout this whole time um, and they're very involved. And so I think we've leaned on them for advice in a lot of these ways, you know, because we live in this sort of little bubble, you know, we see what happens locally. We see the news, but um, our board, thankfully, is nationwide. Um, they, you know, live all over, all different beliefs, creeds, you know, everything. And so it's a really nice sounding board for us to get advice on how we should move forward with tough decisions. So um, they've been very supportive. And but going into each event, we've done a forecast of, you know, what we think we can do, kind of a shot in the dark. And if we, you know, formatting the event, so if, if we spend a lot less, this is kind of what we think we can raise. And really, you know, we've been delighted to see that we have been able to net 60% of, um, you know, what, uh, what we would in a traditional year, uh, on average. So, you know, give and take. So that, is really just scaling down expenses, you know, tremendously. And we've been able to because we're virtual. So we're not paying, you know, in-person costs and stuff like that, but just really watching what we what we spend um, and, you know, pounding the pavement. I mean, our team, you know, who, some of the folks on our team who traditionally aren't necessarily fundraisers, they focus on other part, parts of the organization. I mean, we've been calling, you know, calling and emailing and really stewarding all of our donors, making sure people understand the mission. So I think, you know, kudos to our team for doing that, but also our board has been really supportive in understanding that we're not going to raise what we would in a typical year. You know, we're a food and wine um, or foundation. So, I mean, we, you know, obviously our mission is, is incredibly important, but we do it through a fundraising event. And so when we can't have events, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, plan B. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Well, that's, that's great. And, you know, it sounds like, I think your advice is really spot on, which is cut where you can, budget appropriately where you have to, you know, do the best you can so that you can get to the other side. So, so if we get to the other side, let's talk about, let's talk about celebrity engagement and events, because this is something I think that a lot of people um, wish they had or hope they had, but I also always caution people to be careful what you wish for, because <laughs> you bring in a big personality. I mean, for you, you have a big personality who, of course, you know, it is Chef Ramal. Um, so that's a little different because it's his, right? It, it, you know, but when you bring in a big personality, that brings with it its, you know, responsibilities and, and challenges to an organization too. And so, you know, I always try to lead people to really understand that you've got to be very, you know, you got to take care of talent if they come in. You've got to take care of those, you know, celebrities or personalities that are willing to lend their name and their time to your organization. And so, you know, having worked with someone directly in that way, you know, I'd love any best practice recommendations that you have for organizations who maybe don't day in and day out have that kind of engagement. But if they get the opportunity, you know, what are those best practices of how you take care of someone 
expectations, you know, for example, I always say, you know, if you ask them to sign a million things, they're never coming back. You know, you ask them to take a million pictures, they're never coming back. So how do you balance the value in having them there, you know, without the over ask? I'd be, I'd be curious your opinions about that. Yeah, um, that's an, another really good question. Well, I think what a lot of people um, aren't, don't realize about our foundation. So Emeril Lagasse Foundation was started by Chef Emeril and his wife Alden in 2002, but we're a public charity. So we go out and fundraise, you know, it's not um, similar to MJM. it's not a family foundation. So um, Chef Emeril is always so generous with his time, but we also want to be very respectful to it. It's not, you know, indisposable. So I, I think for for, for him and all of his friends that were so delighted and, and lucky to know um, and to include in our events, we are respectful of their time. I would say that is the most important, um, the most important thing when, with dealing with celebrities or celebrity personalities. And, you know, so giving them upfront um, some kind of understanding of what the expectation is for the weekend. So is it really just like a one hour photo op um, with big sponsors and then that's it. And then they can enjoy the party or is it, you know, the expectation is to come to this dinner and then do this the next day. What we found works nicely is small snippets of time, you know, um, over a weekend or just one dinner and then the rest of the weekend, if they wanna come great, if they don't wanna come great, you know, that's fine too. So I think managing their time and also the expectations of your guests. I mean, we've seen We've all had to play bodyguard at some point um, to, you know, Chef Emeril or his friends or, you know, whomever. And most of our donors are wonderful and they love Chef Emeril as a person. Um, but we've had other celebrities at our events like Kenny Chesney, um, several football players and uh, other celebrity chefs. Some of them love the spotlight and love taking photos with with everyone at any time, and other folks don't. You know, they don't. They don't. Um, they're not as interested in being the big personality all the time. So for us, it's really just like kind of noticing the looks of like when they're when they're done, when they've had enough, and. It, really managing the expectations of the guests. So, you know, if we see um, one of our celebrity uh, guests having like too much interaction with guests or everyone coming up and interrupting for a photo, you know, we, we just try to intercept that. And then sometimes it's making up excuses like so-and-so isn't feeling good or whatever. And it's just, you know, we have to put ourselves in, in that position and, you know, would you always want that? You know, uh, so I think, being respectful with their time and then also just, you know, making sure to treat them properly. You know, not, we have not dealt with divas, you know, I guess like the idea of um, celebrities wanting and needing all these things. We, we haven't had that experience. Everyone has been so kind and so generous. So we just want to show them the same hospitality that we try to show everyone, but make sure that we, that they know how much we appreciate them. Um, and you know, knowing when to cut it off too. <laughs> that's right. Well, I think that's all great advice and exactly right. And, you know, word spreads, right? And so positive word spreads. And, and so if, if just like the way I always think about it, you know, if a donor leaves an event and they had a great time and they felt valued and they felt engaged and entertained, they're, they're very likely to leave and say, we should do that again. Yes. And they're very likely to tell their friend, man, Celeste, I went to this event. It was great. And I had a great time. You should come with me next time or you should do that, right? I think that success will, will build success. 
I think the same is true in the, you know, I would call it personality space, whether it's talent or a celebrity or whatever, you know, if someone comes in and they do feel like you respect their time, you manage their expectations, you understand they're a human and they need some downtime and these things, right. you know, then they're going to leave and they're going to tell their buddy, man, I went to, I went to this thing and it was great. You know, I had a good time and, and it was easy, and, you know? So I think, I think that's really important. I think it can be tempting or difficult, you know, on an organization sometimes in the moment, oh man, we just need this or we just need that. But I think the reality is, you know, a little bit of less is more, uh, will go a long way. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And one like little fun thing that we've done that um, has gone over really well is we make sure to always have a photographer around um, or several, you know, especially when we have some of our larger personalities there. And when the donors do get pictures, it's not the like, let me get out my iPhone and let me shuffle here. So we make sure to just take professional photos. And then after the event, it gives us an opportunity to send it to the donor and then just say like, thanks so much. This was a great time. Thought you would love this photo. So it's, you know, it negates the, the shuffling and will you sign this and all of that. And they get a great photo because it's professionally done. And, you know, the photographer makes sure to take a million so there's no eyes closed or anything like that. So I think that's been another little neat trick that we've been doing that's worked really well. Yeah, no, I think that makes good sense. So I think one of the challenges in returning to live events, you know, we, we both were just discussing, I, I completely agree. I think people are ready to go. And as soon as they, you know, are able, slow and steady, I do think it's coming back. But, but then you have kind of the PR problem or, or the PR question, maybe not a PR problem, maybe a PR question of, you know, who's going first? And, <laughs> and that's, what, that's what I'm seeing. You know, every organization I talk to, which is a lot, you know, they're all like, man, we want to do it. I wish somebody else was <laughs> going to do it before we were going to do it. And it's like, you know, the fear of being the super spreader event. But at the same time, it's like, I've been staying in touch with the head of um, the COVID response team here at our local hospital system. And, and I was having this discussion with him and he said, Jennifer, you have no idea if HEB was, the, you know, the grocery store was the super spreader or your event. So get that out of your head because no one actually knows. I'm like, okay, but everyone's so nervous, you know. So perception, you know, you've got reality, which is, I think, what we just discussed. People are getting vaccines, right? You know, the New York Times said we're close to reaching herd immunity. Like we're getting there in the reality side. The the PR side of things, I think is going to take a little longer to catch up. Yes. So, you know, I don't know what thoughts or advice you have. People are calling me and asking mine often. And I am like, man, you just got to kind of go for it. And I don't know if I, if I have a lot of advice, I'm just curious your thoughts. Yeah, it's a tough one. You know, I think, um, similar to what you're saying for us, especially because we have Chef Emerald's name tied to it, it's automatically, you know, one person gets sick, it's a super spreader, you know, and it's on the front page of every newspaper. And, you know, that is not the PR that we want or anyone wants. And that's been a really big factor in the decisions that we've made leading up to this, because at the end of the day, you and I both know someone goes to the grocery the day after our event and they get sick. Well, of course it's, I got sick at so-and-so's event, you know, and and it's funny, we, my husband and I went to a wedding a few weeks ago and the whole time I'm like, oh my God, you know, 150 people or whatever, panicking the whole time. 
and not a soul that we know, um, you know, experienced any symptoms. But I was just thinking like how funny that someone could get sick at their kid's soccer game the next week, but it's perception, right? So automatically you're going to lead back to that event. So, you know, I don't know if I have any advice necessarily that like good luck to whoever goes first, but it's, um, you're right. You just kind of have to do it if you feel safe. And for us, it's messaging, you know, making sure that we tell all guests, like all protocols will be followed. Um, you know, we're, we're adhering to all CDC guidelines and above and beyond. So I think as long as people feel like you're truly um, doing that, that's the best you can do. And it's really just outweighing the risk versus the rewards. So for us, like, if we do a virtual event, will we raise the same as an in-person event this coming April? No. I mean, we're not. So is it worth the risk to do it in person um, and, you know, risk that PR issue? Well, we have decided today, the 12th, that (laughs) I know that it is worth the risk um, because we feel strongly that by April, the community that will attend our events are mostly over 60 Um, this specific event, they'll have been vaccinated or had access to. So the people that are more concerned um, will be vaccinated. The people that don't care are not the ones that are going to go say that they got sick at our event. So um, that's kind of the mindset that that we have making that decision. But it is, you know, throwing a dart at a wall for sure. I mean, you know, you just hope it is. But I think as long as you prepare and do everything that you, you know, do, adhere to all the guidelines and really and really enforce it, too. I mean, not just, you know, put it a sticker on the wall, but not do anything about it. And I think, you know, we we plan to really make sure that we do it as safely as possible. Yep. No, I think I think that's all really smart. And um, for the projects that we have, you know, had we've, we've done things like green and red wristbands. So if you know, every guest chooses their wristband when they come in the door. And so green is like, you know, I don't care. I'm fine. You know, whatever. I'm vaccinated or I'm whatever. Red is like, hey, I'm still keeping my distance. I'm here, but I'm keeping my distance. And that way it kind of takes away the awkward, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to hug Celeste when I see her or just wave to Celeste when I see her, you know, because I can look at your wrist and I know which if you're green or red. And, you know, I think that's given people some comfort of just like, you know, kind of knowing that everyone else there knows kind of how they're feeling. Um, and that seems to have worked well. You know, I can tell you that our local health official told me the temperature checks are a waste of time. He's like, yeah. you might feel like you're doing something, but you're not. I'm like, okay, great. Um, but for sure, enforcing, you know, the, the mass and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, interestingly, what, what um, I've learned, you know, by my conversations with him is, the restaurant model is actually the right model. You know, what restaurants are doing now is, is what we all should be doing. You enter, you wear your mask until you're seated with your group. When you're seated with your group, you're good. You know, he's like, we are not having super spreader challenges with restaurants. And so just think like the way the restaurants are thinking and, and you know, you're, you'll be fine. And so I think if we all just keep working toward that and keep working for that perception, we're really thinking it through, whether that's wristbands or temperature checks or masks or whatever, um, you know, somebody's going to have to go first. So 
I know. Well, th that's a great idea about the the red and green. We'll have to we'll have to talk about that in our next meeting because that's a great that's a great idea. Because you're right, a lot of it is like comfort level, you know, of the guests. But um, with the restaurant model, that is really what kind of pushed us in the opposite direction for our event um, last weekend that we were going to do the sail fishing tournament in Fort Lauderdale. It's it's a food and wine event, and you know we have a couple dozen winemakers and chefs out there, and so the whole thing is eating and drinking and walking around and visiting. And when we thought about doing it in person, we you know worked on floor plans um, that adhered to you know kind of that mindset of like okay, go get food, then take you know put your mask back on and you know sit down and then remove it and all that stuff. And we decided that even if we did it perfectly. Um, and had, you know, designated seating and everything, guests, like, that's not the experience they're used to. And so they're going to be excited to come back to our event. And then when they get there, it's like, well, wait a second, like, this isn't what we expected. And so for our event specifically, for that one specifically, it just wouldn't have worked, you yeah. know, because yeah. not, that's not the fun part of the event, you know, but other ones I can picture perfectly. I feel like that it's, yeah, you're exactly right. That's a great model to follow. Well, it's interesting. What you just said, I think, is another really important point, which is know who you are and understand your audience expectations. And then if you can't deliver them, don't risk the value, the brand value of who you are and, you know, and the event expectations. Mm -hmm. Make a different decision. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense, too. That's that's really, really, really good advice. Yeah. I mean, the, the worst thing you want to do is have someone come to your event for the first time in a year and they get there and they're like, well, this isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So Yeah. You do only um, get one chance at a first impression. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, but you're right. It's just, it, it's all, you know, all subjective. <laughs> it's all subjective. Well, Celeste, I always appreciate you taking the time to visit. And I know everyone's going to learn a lot from listening to this and I can't wait to be live and in person and at a million events just as soon as possible. So. I know, I know. Well, we'll both be wearing our green wristbands soon and we'll give each other big hugs. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I know. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I'm looking forward to following your progress in April and, and November. And um, I'm wishing you guys a ton of success. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, let's keep in touch and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing each other soon. Thanks so much, Jen. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay.